Well, today I am going to be um, speaking about critical race theory. Have, has anybody heard that in the news lately? Um, if you are a part of any school district that, um, that people are concerned whether or not this is taught to their kids, uh, maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't, but um, CRT, as it's awfully known, of, often known, is... I'm going to run that through the filter of Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, your app, it's really important that you follow along with us to, um, to capture what God is wanting to speak to us. I love that we sang that little portion at the end, that God's ways, uh, his thoughts are higher, his ways are better. Because if we try to understand um, the way the complexity of the world is today through man-made constructs, because that's what we do, right? For us to make sense of things, we have to create frameworks of understanding. And critical race theory first came about in the 1970s. This is not a new thing. Um, kind of revisited in, in uh, 1995 and then re, uh, revigorated now with this woke um, idea and critical race theory. And it's kind of all meshed into the Black Lives Matter um, construct. And so because we're trying to make sense of some things in the world, we're, we're putting human thought and human frameworks around it. But we have to realize that God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are greater, and, but his ways are always better. So we have to go back to what God's, God says about things and then, then try to live our lives according to his way. But I, my own life, when, when black lives, well, let, let me start this. I grew up in an inner city church, even though I grew up in the country. I was 20 minutes from my church, which was inner city. Um, and so it's like city to country limits were pretty close. But, but this inner city church had... Um, people who have immigrated from Africa, from Asian countries. And so I remember driving in uh, our family van and picking up um, people from other countries. And I just thought that was the spice of life. I never really looked at people differently. I just felt like people um, of different color or different backgrounds were just that. Different backgrounds, different color. And like I'm a different color and different background. And that's what made life exciting. But interestingly enough, when Black Lives Matter started to come about, and I was like, of course Black Lives Matter. All lives matter, right? And then, then I was kind of like, well, then you're kind of being disrespectful for black lives. And so I spent time talking to people who uh, were black and trying to understand from their perspective. And, um, and then just realizing that what Black Lives Matter was doing, and then this whole idea of critical race theory, I started to be more aware of differences. I started to see people who are different and like, oh, am I being racist and I don't even know it? Am I, am I somehow, but then in my self-consciousness that I'm trying to overcompensate and treat people better, and then I'm realizing, wait a second, then that's kind of also treating people differently because of color, and is that even right? And I found myself being in turmoil a little bit of something that never I was aware of before. People were people in my estimation. And then when this whole thing started coming up, and it's like, why is that happening? I think Romans chapter 7 tells us why that happens. So we're going to dig right in here. Romans chapter 7 says this. Or do you not know, brothers, remember this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome. And he's saying this. 
Or do you not know, brothers, for I am um, speaking to those who know the law, the Jews, right? There's Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles would be the ones that weren't Jews. Um, Greeks would be the Gentiles. Jews uh, were the ones who were the law keepers. Uh, That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if a husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, will she be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is still alive? But if her husband dies, she is free from law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Okay. We're not going to go into the marriage. Really, he's talking about law. He's talking about legal things. How many of you have experienced driving down a road and you're just like minding your own business and, and driving, and then all of a sudden you see a speed limit sign, and it's like, oh, I'm going too fast, right? And you slow down, or maybe you don't, and you just want to keep uh, driving the way you want to drive. But you didn't know if you're going too fast until you saw a speed limit sign, correct? This is what he's talking about. All the law does is tells you when you're doing something wrong. And as long as you are living for the law, the law is actually uh, creates death. It only judges you. We've talked about this before. I'm not going to go there. Um, now, you can sin. You can just say, you know what? I'm going 90 miles an hour in a 40-mile-an-hour zone, and I just don't care. I am just going to be sinning, right? And we talked about how sin is fun for a season. You might get a rush from it, but it always, sin always leads to uh, lack of your freedom, and uh, it will cause death. So here, Paul makes a point of understanding what the law does. He does a lot of work on this, but we've got to keep tracking here. Likewise, brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to one another. So he's already saying, when you come to Christ, you die to the law, which means you're not living for the law, you're living for Jesus, which actually, we'll get in that actually, especially next week, it was really important. But we're living for Christ, we're no longer living for the law, and that we may belong to one another. I love this because here he's saying it's not only do we are, are dead to sin, we're going to not try to live for the law, but we're actually going to live for Christ, which means our focus is now not on ourselves, it is for one another. That's what the church is really about, which I love. And this is the thing I love about this church. And by the way, if you're watching online, if you've never physically been to our location, I want to let you know, you need to come because you will be loved on. You'll be, yes, it's a great church. This is a one another church. They're, they're, we care for each other. Okay, so to him that we're talking in verse four here, middle of it. To him how, who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear the fruit of God. Okay, I love again, we talked about death, raised to the dead. This is the symbol, symbolism of baptism that we're gonna be celebrating next week. And this is what Paul has already been talking about, Right? We're dead to sin, we're alive in Christ, no longer living for our own sinful passions, no longer living just for the law, we're living as new creation for Christ. Okay, um, here we go, verse 5. This is where it gets to defining some critical race theory thoughts, okay? 
For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now that we are released from the law, having died to what which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way, the spirit, and not the old way of the written code or of the law. It's interesting in the written code, in my Bible, it, it refers back to um, the Ten Commandments on the uh, one about adultery, which he's talking about that earlier in that section there. But the written code would be like the Ten Commandments. What then shall we say? That the law is sin by no means. Yet, if it has been for the law, I would have not known my own sin. Remember, so sin, I mean the law, only tells you when you're doing something wrong. For I would not have known uh, what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I once was alive apart from the law, but now, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Okay, here we go. Here's the connection. What the law does is it reflects our wrongdoing, and then when we put our attention on the wrongdoing, it actually compels us to do the very thing that we don't want to do. This is a really important spiritual principle and how it relates to critical race theory, but let me just give you what critical race theory is really about. It is saying that by nature we're racists, racists. By nature, we are that. And the critical race theory actually puts it more on the, uh, the burden on the white people who are saying um, that we have oppressed many others of different colors and of minorities, and that we need to be taught that because we're all racist, we need to be thinking of that in the construct of being a racist. The problem with that, and same with the woke theory, the woke, the woke ideology today is just that, that we've wakened up to the realization that we aren't as good as we think we are, that we have a lot of history of oppressing people and we need to be accountable for that. True, we have not treated our Native Americans properly, some. Um, some have not treated our African uh, Americans properly, especially through slavery, true. But by the way, we also have a bunch of um, Chinese people who came over, emigrated to the U.S. that helped build our railroad system that were abused. True. By the way, it wasn't just people of color. It was also when we had the uh, Irish come over here. And they were just barely on the scale of a little bit above African Americans of class systems. True. But again, it, we can look at those things and understand that those, if we're trying to make sense of how does humanity oppress people, and then we put a construct, a framework around that to say that we're all racists, <laughs> racists, right? Then we, we then are beginning to say we, are, we will actually do the very thing that we're not trying to do we will actually become the very thing that we don't want to become. This is why that idea is dangerous. 
This is why. And, and Paul, Paul goes to it. He says, when the law comes up, and now man-made law. See, see, I love this. I don't know if you realize this, but for the last three weeks, I've been meeting with a group of pastors. I just met, had another meeting this week, this time with two black pastors and four white pastors. And I even, I even hesitate saying black and white because honestly, that's a racist construct. It's this, this one black pastor, I'm just going to say it for the sake of, of context here. His name's Michael Worsley. Great, great man. But, and he, he teaches um, this whole idea of racism in public sectors. But he says, we've got this wrong. And he says, race is man-made. We should be looking at it through the lens of ethnicity, which is God-made. God made people of ethnic backgrounds. God made people of different colored skin. God made people of different cultural backgrounds. But man, in trying to create some construct, has come up with this idea of race. By the way, this concept of race never came about until about the mid-1500s. Before that, thousands of years before that, there was no concept of race. It was always ethnic backgrounds. By the way, ethnicity talks about your origin of birth. But when we're talking about race, it's a skin color or a group of people. When you're talking about ethnicity, it's, it's your cultural background and your cultural beliefs. But when we talk about race, we limit somebody's identity to their skin color. And we group people. Ethnicity begins to unify and celebrate difference, but race only divides and degradates. God created the beauty of ethnicities, of all colors, of all races. Well, I'm not going to say that, because <laughs> that was a human construct of all backgrounds, of all cultural backgrounds. So here we just have to think of this from a spiritual landscape. Remember, God's ways are higher than ours, but God's ways are better than ours. We need to say, what does God say about this? So we need to run it through, instead of trying a humanity to try to create these frameworks of constructs, we have to say, well, what is the spiritual background behind all of this? And how do we then begin to, as a culture, begin to, I love this, Ford has an ad out that, um, that says this, and I think it is really important. It says, when we remember, recognize, and respect, we all move forward. When we remember, see, it is important. We can't just kind of like say things didn't happen. There have been some really bad things of oppression that people have done to other people. But that's a sin nature. That's not a racist nature. That's a sin nature. That's a, that's a thing of greed and power um, and oppression. But we have to remember, then we have to recognize our shortcomings. We have to understand saying, okay, you know what? Maybe there are some things to learn here. And then we have to respect people's differences and then we can all move forward. I'm not suggesting that we just put a cover over it and just go into skipping down 
uh, the road and looking at rainbows and say, aren't we just, we're all one people. Um, we are the world, we are the children. We are the world, we are the children. I don't know, I think I remember that as a kid somewhere, but um, make this world a better place, so keep on, what is it? Giving. Giving. Yeah, I think they just wanted your money, right? That was a, that was a fundraising campaign? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I didn't have that plan, by the way. Completely off tune, you know, it was really bad. All right. Just, but just stay with me for a moment. Let's keep reading. Verse 12, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So we're not going to get rid of the law, but we're going to have to see the limitations of the law. Did that which was good then bring death to me? No, by, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through, that, through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And though the commandment might become sinful beyond measure... Stay with me, a little confusing. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Here's the conflict. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Okay, so you saying, I'm doing things I don't want to do. Which makes me saying, I'm agreeing to the law. See what I'm saying there? When we start putting our focus on the law, when we start holding up a measurement and a metric and a framework for us to understand it, it actually compels us to do the very thing that we don't want to do. And Paul is giving us that evidence. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. I think every kid loves to use that verse. You'll quote that. Mom, I didn't do it. It was sin in me that did it. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Kids, if you want to write that down, it's Romans chapter 7. It's a good argument, by the way, kids. It's a good argument. Pastor Mark told me, just blame sin. (laughs) Um. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close behind. Again, here's this connection of If you keep focusing on the law, you're going to actually keep doing the very thing that you don't want to do. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. That conflict, right? So he knows what he wants to do in his head, 
by serving the law and it doesn't go so well, then he very does the very thing that he doesn't want to do in his flesh. Chapter 8 is where it becomes the full answer to this, um, where it says life in the spirit of God. We're not going there today, but I, I wanted to create the case to understand how we need to understand some of these things that are really complex in our world today and bring them underneath the authority of God's word to make sure that we're thinking about them in a way that's godly and not just, uh, that sounds good. Because on the, I'll be honest with you, on the surface, I think it's important for us to be aware of our past mistakes. I think it's important for us to learn how to be more sensitive to people that are not like ourselves, that have different cultural backgrounds. I do believe that God is, that's a good and righteous thing. But, but here's the problem with that. The problem with that is a spiritual problem is, even though it's a man-made construct, it becomes a standard of which we want to measure something, and then it, it produces the very thing that we don't want it to produce. Specifically, critical race theory. If we're making a case and a statement to saying that we're all racists and we need to be educated to become less racist, the very standard that we're trying to measure up to will actually cause us to be more racist. The very, remember, that's what the law does. And this could be a man-made law, right? This man-made law will actually create the very thing that we are saying we don't want to become couple scriptures that I want to bring to your attention in closing. The first thing is understanding the law or the Ten Commandments is not something that we just throw away. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus' words, red letters, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes on one of, one of the least of these commandments and teaches another to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them to be great in the kingdom of heaven will be called great. Those who teach them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And you're like, scribes and Pharisees, man, those guys must have been super smart. And he said, our righteousness has to supersede that. This is why Jesus came to earth to die for us because it's only Christ's righteousness that will supersede all of this. Why do I think also our Ten Commandments should still be in our, in our public places and should be observed is because of this. This verse right here, Jesus says that those who will teach those things will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But remember, there's limitations to the law. Jesus is not saying abolish it. He said, come to fulfill it, which means the law was only good to judge us and actually compel us even into greater sin. That's Paul's argument there. But Jesus says, I came to fulfill the law 
meaning that, you know what? You have now the ability to overcome. The law doesn't define you. When you live for the Spirit of God, you overcome all those things that you don't have to live for your flesh and for sin any longer. And the law no longer captivates you to try to tell you and judge you and then propel you to actually do the very thing that law is telling you not to do. We rise above as a follower of Jesus Christ and he allows you to live not bound by sin, enslaved to sin, not compelled and judged by the law that promotes you to do the very thing it's asking you not to do. But we live for Jesus, which will bring us to freedom, hope, and unity. And I, I want to I close on this thought of unity. Whenever you look around and you're saying, what is an idea that the, the world or the idea the United States or even our state is promoting? It's really easy to begin to say, is it godly or is it not godly by how it unites or divides? You can see all the things in our country that are dividing us today and those, I would say, are from the pit of hell. Even things you can think of, well, well we're standing for righteousness over here, but if it's, if it's dividing people, it's not godly. Proverbs says, chapter 6, verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates. There's a strong word for you. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes like pride, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, murder, a heart that devises wicked plans, deceit, Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. Here's the last one. The one who sows discord among brothers. Or the one that divides. The one that divides. I'm concerned for our country. This is not a political talk. This is, let's get back to the word of God and a Jesus talk. But I am concerned. I'm concerned that we are spending more time dividing each other and fighting each other and that we are losing. We're losing a battle. We're losing a battle to put our focus back on where it needs to be, which is Jesus Christ. We were a nation formed under God under biblical principles. And as long as we continue to erode away our unity as a nation, greater evils will continue to come and divide us and bring bondage to us. But again, I believe the church, you, have the opportunity. One, to don't feed into anything that divides. Don't feed into anything that divides. Number two, let's talk about Jesus if you want to talk about topics. (laughs) Let's talk about Jesus and what Jesus has done and his saving grace. And then three, realize that ethnicity is beautiful and God has created us all different. I, I, that's why I love our church. 
we got a Filipino, we've got African-Americans, we've got, uh, yeah, even Canadians, I know they're kind of, you know. But we have a variety of ethnicities in our church. A variety of ethnicities. And I hope more come here. And that they would feel the, the love and unity. That's what the Spirit of God does. It binds us together. It doesn't separate. So my challenge for you is, yes, focus on unity. Focus on Jesus. But then be aware when we start to have conversations around things nationwide that are somewhat political, don't go politics, go biblical. Go biblical. You've got to run it through a context of saying, what does God's word say? Because otherwise, humans will come in and create frameworks of understanding. Nothing wrong with that, but if it's a human framework, we're going to miss the mark. We got to go back into a biblical framework and allow God's word to speak to us and shape us. Welcome to Church Online. My name is Pastor Mark, and I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us in watching our services online. Maybe you can't be at our location today and you're watching this from home or on the road. We just want to say thank you for tuning in. And maybe you can't get to a physical location at Grace Capital Church, and this becomes part of your regular routine to do church live on your computer or on your device, we want to say, invite some friends with you. Do church together. Life is so much better together and discovering what God has for us is meant to be done in community. Gather people together and enjoy these services for weeks to come. Thank you for watching.